This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Etienne, bonjour. <laughs> I was wondering what you were Googling. Uh, I, I I got that one. I didn't know Etienne was French for Stephen. Wow. So I've uh, learned something new every day. But uh, It is. I have a daughter in French immersion, so I've known that for a few years. <laughs> Episode 102. Uh, this is a cool one. We um, we got some really cool people in our corner. The Silver Core team, um, uh, husband and wife team, Travis and Tiffany Bader, fantastic people. Love what they do. Uh, love their messaging. Uh, anyone that doesn't know about Silver Core, check them out. Um, they do a ton of work. They uh, obviously they're contracted to do the core course for British Columbia, so they handle that aspect of it. But a ton of other courses and programs uh, in house and um, also uh, online courses. So uh, yeah, really good people, Travis and Tiffany, and this is a great podcast. Uh, Travis loves to talk, and you'll you'll hear that that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, just all around solid people. So supportive of the society. So so supportive of all our initiatives. Uh, one campfire, uh, our podcast, and yeah, it was fun. It was fun to, to get to catch up with him. I, I really enjoy Travis's Silvercore podcast as well. So if you guys haven't checked that out, go over and check out Travis's podcast there. Um, really interesting guests and uh, really diverse subjects, um, all kind of hunting centric, but um, yeah, pretty diverse podcast and yeah, quite quite enjoy listening to to what Travis uh, cooks up there as well. And then of course um, the uh, so the Silver Core Club um, and I can't talk too much about it. Travis touches on it and Tiffany on this podcast, but uh, go over to Silver Core's website and they have a not for profit club as well, and they talk about what uh, what that is as well. So do a little bit of your own research on that, um, and there's some really great benefits. It's incredible the stuff on their website what you'll see there. So um, yeah, great podcast. Housekeeping. What do we got, Steve? Well, it's. Uh Tuesday and we're still running with our Cyber Monday deals. So we got a bunch of kick-ass clearance items in our online shop. So including some Sitka gear, uh, some some Wild Sheep branded Sitka gear. Just want to move it out, make room for some new items that we're excited to be bringing in and you get your order in in the next about two weeks. You should uh, be no problem getting it for Christmas. We're working hard getting it out within two, three days now and that'll ramp up closer to the the deadline we get so yeah pretty awesome stuff and it's it's uh, selling well so don't wait yeah so there's a bunch of stuff that's 70 percent off we're blowing it out it's going to be gone so um if you're looking for some deals there's some deals there at 70 percent off the sitka fanatic hoodie that's one of the really popular selling product from sitka gear you can still get it through sitka we've got that marked down i think it's 20 or 25 percent off right now uh it's got the wild sheep society bc logo so it's a wicked deal if you're looking for something like that um it's free shipping um and also uh, on that hoodie of course because your order is over what's our, our cutoff for that one 125 125. So free shipping on that. Uh, no duty, no taxes. So great opportunity if you want that Sitka Fanatic hoodie. We got fairly good selection, but it's going to sell out for sure. So if you're interested, check that out. Uh, our 2023 calendars are out now. We've marked them down 10%. Um, so just a, a, an array of stuff. We've got a, a membership bundle there as well. Um, so if you want to buy someone a Christmas gift, I think you get a Sitka a hat and uh, a membership. What's our price point on that? It's a hundred bucks. On that I one? think it's a hundred bucks. You get a, a one-year membership, uh, Sitka cap, and a challenge coin in that package. It's, it's a hell of a yeah. Thing. So that's a 
really good uh, deal as well. And that's a great Christmas gift, right? If there's someone on your list um, and we have a membership promotion. So, okay, buy that for somebody and then you are going to get your name in for a membership promotion. We're giving away a thousand bucks to one of our conservation partners. And uh, those are the, the big ones. Those are our good ones. So Precision Optics, Suaro, Yeti, Stone Glacier, Sitka Gear, and Gunworks. So um, that thousand bucks at Gunworks probably isn't going to get you one of their rifles, but it'll get you a good down payment on one. Uh, but you can also spend it somewhere else. So great opportunity there. So buy someone a membership through a membership promotion or, like we said, the gift of conservation um, thing through our website. Uh, great deal there, and you're going to get your name in yourself as buying that um, uh, as a as a gift for someone else. So great opportunity, everyone wins. And that's only on for another month now, so end of end of December. So yeah, hurry up, get on that. And but yeah, I bought a couple memberships for people. So yeah, fun, fun, uh, fun thing awesome. to give away and get your, your yourself some chances. So yeah, pretty cool. Okay, the last thing we got for you for our listeners is we need content for the magazine. Uh, we've got uh, the new magazine out, the new refreshed look. We're trying to get a bunch of hunt stories in there for you guys, but we need your content. So if you can support us on that, uh, reach out. Um, there, you can send us a whole hunt story. It would be great. We love sheep hunting stories, but we'll take any story for that matter. And then on top of it, uh, we do these mini stories where roughly 50 to 75 words. Send us two pictures, high quality, two megabytes or better and get your hunt story in the magazine. Love to hear from you. Um, and the more content we get, the better the magazine is. So love to hear from you. So with that, we're off to episode 102. Tiffany and Travis, we're going to talk about the Silver Core experience. Enjoy the listen. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Well, good morning, uh, Travis and Tiffany and uh, the Silvercore crew. It's uh, awesome to have you on the podcast and thank you for joining us today. Kyle, Steve, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's great. So I guess to start off, I'm like, what an awesome podcast studio. <laughs> Steve and I are like, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's that, been a bit uh, of work. That is fantastic. It's been a bit of work. I, I'm sure people won't be able to see this because we're just doing the audio format here, but I just put a wider angle lens on and uh, you can kind of pick up a little bit of what we have going on here. We just, we went all in on the podcast thing, kind of like what you guys have, right? Just jump in with both feet. Well, that's awesome. And you guys do have your own podcast. So uh, let's just start off with a plug here for Silvercore and your podcast. Let's give a two minute shout out to that. <laughs> right on. So two minutes of talking about the Silvercore podcast. No problem. Sure. You bet. Why not? <laughs> sure. Well, for the people who listen to talk is sheep. Silvercore podcast. We talk about, uh, hunting, fishing, foraging, outdoors, the people and businesses that comprise the community. It's a rather eclectic view towards, um, uh, the outside. And, you know, I started the Silvercore podcast and I retained the name of the company Silvercore. And it might've been wise to have taken, maybe a, put a descriptor in there, sort of talk like talk is sheep, you know what you're getting into silver core podcast doesn't have that descriptor, but it also allows the latitude to be able to talk about all things under the sun that kind of 
influence our world in the training industry as well as the, the outdoors world. So we're talking about mental health. We're talking about bear attacks, uh, survival. Um, you know, there's situational awareness. There's uh, quite a spectrum of what we cover. So it's been keeping us on our toes and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's great. I have to say I enjoy listening to it and there's so much content out there these days. I don't get all, all of them, but uh, the ones I've listened to, I... I really appreciate, and uh, the one thing I really like uh, that you guys do well is advocacy for sort of you know Canadian gun owner rights and that sort of thing too. So that's a really important part, I think, a, a good message out there. And and some I don't get into a lot of the gun stuff, but I do listen to some of you guys' stuff, and I appreciate all the advocacy work you're doing on that end of things. Thanks for that. You know the the whole advocacy side is difficult from the perspective of preaching to the choir. Quite often in mm-hmm. the gun world, we're talking to the people, we're in an echo chamber, right? Just like in the outdoors world and in the sheep world, we we all tend to find ourselves situated around those who have like or similar interests. And my goal with the Silvercore podcast was to try and transcend that, to find a wider audience without trying to pump a hoorah guns or hoorah outdoors down their throat but to just be able to pr- provide perspective and show the adventures that people are having and the, the people that are involved and hopefully leave the audience with some form of either education or entertainment, always with a mind towards providing mm-hmm. value to the end user. Yeah, it, it's tough to advocate though without coming across, we call it passionate. Mm-hmm. They'll call it chest thumping and you know <laughs> what I mean? Because I'm, as you know, I'm the same way, right? right. You, you get on, you get onto that, without calling it a soapbox, but you get up here and you're trying to educate in, in a nice, in a nice way that people can relate to. And it's tough and it, it's, it's tough. You guys do it well though. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. We, we try very hard and it's a constant learning process, but that's what keeps it interesting. Right on. So we kind of started down the rabbit hole, which we want to do for sure. Mm. That's always great, but, uh, let's just start high level and, uh, let's talk about, uh, I guess let's start off with, Let's start off with the company. Let's start off with what Silvercore is. But I also want to hear from who you are, Travis, who you are, Tiffany, and a little bit about the two of you individually. But let's start with the company to start with. Sure. So the company Silvercore is something that the core aspect of it started while I was in high school. I took my grandfather's name, Silver Arbino, and my other grandfather, Cornelius Bader, and I took the silver and the core and I put them together. One was a Vancouver police detective and the other was an entrepreneur. He had a, a bakery and he used to brag about being bigger than dad's oatmeal cookies in their time. So whatever that means. Um, but I thought that was sort of the, uh, an interesting name and heritage towards it. And I've started doing firearms repair and maintenance for the general public. I started picking up, um, uh, work for armor car companies, extended work for law enforcement because they'll have their own armors on staff, but if it exceeds their tooling or it's kind of falls without their realm, it would come across my bench and, uh, did that in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and, uh, was always doing the training on the side. I would shut down in the summertime and once a month would offer a course. And I realized that the repair and maintenance, while I enjoyed that, the training I loved, I really, really loved being able to not just have people memorize different things, but to affect some sort of a change within people where they adopt a, um, an attitude of safety or they kind of adopt something that's going to help change their life. So I doubled down on that around 2003, I incorporated the company and at the time 
Tiffany and I were, were dating through high school and she was always by my side. And, you know, for the longest time, I always figured I would just be making enough money with this business to be able to pay my half of the rent and my half of the food. And uh, it was a reality for a while. It was our reality. And the fact that Tiffany was able to, um, hold a real job and be able to help support things. Well, I had this dream in my mind and she supported and, and held the same dream is probably, that's the only reason why Silvercore ever got off the ground. I don't know about that, but I think I might've helped a bit, a little bit. There was some help, definitely. <laughs> so now, now we've, uh, expanded our training offerings and we offer online training. We do work with, uh, uh, government agencies, non-government agencies and groups, NGOs, nonprofits, indigenous groups all across Canada. And, uh, a few years ago, I took the a friend who uh, owns the range Langley in, uh, in Langley and he says, Trav, you know, I'm watching this guy on YouTube and he says that everybody should be their own media company. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's, I checked this guy out. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know. And at first I was put off by him, but I looked a little bit further and saw what the guy had to say. I said, you know, there's some value to this. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try getting my face in front of YouTube and I'll get the podcast together. And I've done all of that with zero ROI on the, um, we don't monetize the podcast. We don't monetize the, uh, uh, our, our YouTube. It's, it's not a moneymaker for us, but the intention is to be able to help people provide them entertainment or education. And the indirect ROI on that is tenfold. I mean, you end up meeting people like yourselves and you end up influencing others who, uh, and positively affecting their lives. And you hear these stories back and, uh, I, I'm pretty happy that we, we got into that. It's a pretty big deal, right? Like it's incredible the outreach that this has. Like you look at your downloads and the number of people you're reaching outside of the echo chamber, right? You know, mm -hmm. there are, of course, there's your core, there's your members, there's people that knew knew about Silvercore, but there's there's this sharing, you know, you know, of course with a podcast, as we know, your guests quite often will share a podcast that that are on it. And you're just reaching these new circles that you'd never be able to do. You'll never reach them otherwise, unless you spent millions of dollars in advertising, which is not it's, manageable, right? It's so not I, a, yeah, that's not feasible. But if, if you speak yeah. from your heart and you, you honestly try and connect with whoever it is that you feel is going to be the end user and provide them with value, you, it reciprocates tenfold on your end. I don't know what it's been like for you guys, but I should imagine you've experienced uh, deeper connections and relationships with different individuals and organizations and, and the bleed off from the talk is sheep podcast. Cause you, you guys cover a, a wide gamut and it's a very positive thing. What you guys are doing. I should imagine that you guys are experiencing the same. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, and, and this, you know, you have these deep conversations that you probably never would either, especially mm -hmm. during working hours, right? You're like, no, I got to get after it. And I got to do this course. I got to do that. I got to put this program on. But when you sit down and have this conversation and you do it during the working hours, you take the time out. But I do think it's like you said, uh, Travis, is that it, you know, it, it's creating this, uh, relationship with other individuals outside your normal space and within it as well. And it's really, you know, you talked about your own media company, talk about a great platform for talking about what Silvercore does and for marketing your programs and the different things you do. And, you know, I know that's not exactly what you're doing. You're doing much more than that. 
but it also brings it all back to the core of what you do as a business as well, right? Well, it does share the same name as a company. So we have that, uh, that bleed off that'll come from that. There's name recognition. And we talk about the Silver Core Club as well. And we got members all across the world that belong to the Silver Core Club. And uh, so there is, there is that aspect too. But I'm curious from uh, Tiffany's perspective, <laughs> I mean, you know, as, as I'm talking there about the, um, about the early days, I, I don't know if we've ever had that conversation. What were your thoughts when you see me slugging away in the shop hours on end making peanuts and you're working the respectable, legitimate jobs, kind of carrying things. Did you think that things would get to this point? I, I didn't. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> hey, <she's honest>. <laughs> <laughs> we've been together a very long time. I, I, uh, when we met, I wasn't like, oh, I got to date this guy. Cause we're going to, we're going to have lots of money and we're going to, we're going to, this is the goal to have money. It was never about the money. And I think when, uh, when you look at the jobs that I had, sure, I had the respectable nine to five, but then I got into my passion project and it was never about money once we made that decision. And, and for Travis, it was, <laughs> it, it has never, ever been about money. Uh, I mean, he would, I'd go to work and he'd be in the shop and I come home and he'd be in the shop and I get a text saying, Hey, can you like bring some food into the shop for me? Cause he would just. He just went all, all the time and nothing has changed. I mean, it's, it's easy to support someone that's passionate. And I think that's, you know, that's, it, it makes it simple. It makes it easy for me anyway, but yeah. That's cool. So, you know, on that note, Tiffany, with now from a business perspective, if we look at that, so I know Travis, you have the podcast, but you do a ton of stuff as well. Um, uh, above that and beyond with the business, but you know, how does it work with the business aspect of it? Um, you know, you've got, you've got your courses, you've got your programs. Um, how does, how do you guys interact and how does that work as, as a couple, as a husband and wife in terms of the business <laughs> aspect of it? Well, do you want to take that one? Yeah. Okay. Sure. sure. Um, well, you know, I, th I think because we are best friends at, start and finish of it. Um, and we're very different in a lot of ways. I think it's good. Travis is very good at, at being the like poster boy for ADHD and, um, <laughs> and like always driving things. I got this idea. I got this idea. And, and, um, I'm not that person. I'm a lot more like even keeled. I, I get passionate about things, but it's like a whole other level with him. So, he'll come and he'll say, Hey, uh, what about this idea? And I'm like, okay. Uh, did you think about this and this and this? Hmm. Uh, maybe not. And then we have that conversation. So it's, it's, it, you know, we're kind of yin and yang that way. Um, having our own business, it never stops. You know, we sit down in the morning, we have a conversation and kind of plan out our day and go from there. But yeah, what do you think? Yeah. It never turns off. I mean, pe people who have a nine to five job, uh, are able to, for the most part, I would imagine, because it's been a very long time for me, are able to come home and decompress and put the job aside when they, uh, when they finish up and the weekends are their weekends. It is always on your mind. If you're an entrepreneur, you're either thinking about the next thing. How do we make it better? How do we improve on what we have? Um, or you're putting out fires and, Hopefully if you're doing 
your job right, you're able to surround yourself with people who can uh, complement your deficiencies or um, make up for your deficiencies. So in areas where perhaps my ADHD is going to be running rampant and I have all these ideas, I've got people right by my side, like Tiffany, who are able to, all right, let's itemize these things down. Now, which one's going to be the most important and where are we going? So the whole uh, working together in business, the reality is, is you really never, ever turn it off. Like if we're out hunting and we're in the a perfect environment and let's say the sun's starting to go down and the colors are beautiful and, you know, the game's starting to present itself and you're supposed to be a hundred percent in the moment right there. There's always a twinge in the back of my head. Oh, wait a minute. I just had this idea. Oh, I better write this down. Mm -hmm. I better, I'll forget this if I don't. So there, there's always going to be something. And, um, I, yeah, so it's, it's not for everybody. I can say that for sure. I, it also, I feel that. Sorry, go on. I feel that in the worst way. I've got like <laughs> my post-it note here in my hand, pen always, a stack of a dozen uh, uh, notepads. My phone notes is loaded and it's always, it's always go. And Kyle will vouch for that. I'll text him just randomly. Hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's just pr probably driving nuts, but uh, well, that's why we work well together. Steve, what are those notes there? Are those notes on just this podcast here? Things that kind of keep top nope. of your head? Or are you this is... It this is stuff that I've, I've, I, I spitball daily. I'll sit down at my desk and start into my work and go, oh, this would work. I'll work on something and then I'll <laughs> totally go off on a tangent and I'll need to write that down. But no, this isn't even podcast. This is just notes you, for the last day or two. See, we, we stopped off at the, picked up some mail on the way over here before coming to the studio. And I'm like, what is this? What do I got in this little package here? It's soft and open it up. Oh, it's a t-shirt that I made up while I was on a zoom call because I knew if I didn't make that t-shirt at the time, as a teenager, I had this idea, this know your limits and oh, your limits, right? Someone should make a t-shirt out of that. And it came up in the zoom call conversation and I'm like, I'm just going to make it while I'm on the zoom call while I'm doing things. So similar, I'll take a note or if I can take care of it right at that moment, I'll do it. I made one of our, our most popular t-shirts while we were on a podcast. I wrote it down, right? Yeah. The eat, sleep, eat, sleep, sheep, repeat. That's it. Right. There you go. Yeah. Right. It was just, oh man. I texted Kyle after and said, yeah, what about this? Whoa. Okay. Sure. And it works. Yeah, it's just, you gotta, you gotta do it. Right. I think. You gotta write things down or it's not going to work. I think, uh, most people will have these great ideas or they'll have these, uh, little flashbulbs of, Hey, that would be a neat thing to do. But the difference is most people don't actually take that next step of just writing it down. Cause that's the first, for me anyways, that's the first step in putting something into action. And if you write it down, it starts to become a reality and then you can start weighing that out about against everything else that you have to do. So yeah, it sounds like we share a similar sort of ADHD culture there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Look, squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Travis actually has a little book that he keeps with him all the time and writes notes and then he shares them with me and I do the legwork for most of it. <laughs> and then I get stumped. And, Here's yeah. the idea. You make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And then I come back. Thanks. I'm like, I'm struggling. I need help. And then he helps me push through. But yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about that innovation. So you guys are innovative as a company. So Silvercore, let's just give it a 5,000 foot view of what you guys do. Like uh, I I know some of our listeners, a lot of our listeners know who Silvercore is, but not everyone does. So just give us the the 30 second elevator speech on Silvercore. Man, that's a good one. Well, our elevator's pitch is going to be changing slightly soon because we've been spending the last two years building out a new brand platform and building out uh, something that we think is going to help affect a positive change for the outdoors community. Community, uh, not just in Canada, but, but beyond, but, uh, I'll put that little teaser there. If people are interested and they want to pay attention and, and watch it, I was hoping to be able to talk deeper on that in this podcast, but as things happen, I mean, if we've been working two years already, if it's not quite perfect, well, maybe we should wait until the perfect package to only the perfect best food will leave the kitchen essentially. Right. Uh, but Silvercore is a training company at its core. So we provide training, uh, on some government courses. So firearm safety course and hunter education courses and use of force for, uh, armed professionals and firearms proficiency for those who are going to be requiring a gun for work. Uh, but we also expand well beyond that too, in some of the outdoor work that we do and work that we do with, um, for, uh, BHA, uh, BCWF, um, we currently hold the contract for online hunter education in British Columbia, um, and do work with other groups such as, such as yourself. So really the, uh, the concept behind Silvercore has always been, how do we get people outside and safe and comfortable being in an outdoor environment? And here's some tools that are sort of, uh, able to help them in that process. And yes, it does have a firearm centric, uh, sort of standpoint to it, which is good and bad. It's good in so far as it speaks to the gun community, which is great. It's good that it helps, uh, that conversation, but it's bad because, uh, companies such as, uh, Google, which owns YouTube and meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook is they're going to have their own they call them shaft sort of policies, uh, which is uh, sex, hate, alcohol, firearms, tobacco, right? And you start falling in there and you find yourself shadow banned, or you find yourself completely without the services of, of what they offer. Merchant providers, for example, there's a number of merchant providers that won't touch a company that deals in that shaft category. Uh, so if you really want to be able to reach a large audience, uh, you're going to have to find a way to be able to, to reach them. Uh, you're going to have to find a way to speak to them within the parameters that we currently have. And since there's so much attention through social media and through these different platforms, then, um, you, you kind of have to take the approach of, I can go in the river, I can put my hands up and I know I'm right. Cause I'm going in the right direction and I can keep pushing against this river, but Man, if you can find a way, if there's something floating down the river that's got the public attention that you can jump onto and use that current to be able to propel your message, that's that's sort of the hope of what we're trying to be able to do. So we can take uh, hunting, fishing, outdoors uh, type activities and firearms with that into more of an adopted mainstream consciousness. Hmm. Awesome. So now you set us up on that teaser. Can you give us a bit more of what's coming down the pipe or is that, is that all we're getting today? Uh, let's see. Can we give them a bit more? Um, well, it's sort of as an aside though, you didn't mention the club and that's kind of a big part of the business too. Okay. <laughs> well, well, we do have club members all, all across the world and our goal, it's, so it's, it's a nonprofit club. 
We've got a club that provides insurance for individuals to be, uh, who enjoy their out- outdoor activities. Third-party liability insurance is good all, all across North America, but it also puts them in touch with other organizations that are that are doing good things. And maybe they don't have the um, uh, the background in maybe it's um, in in sheep hunting or the knowledge with uh, the sheep. It'll put the members in touch with your organization so that. Um, so they can get that building a community, essentially finding other people who are like-minded, who are doing positive things and helping build that community into something much larger. And they get a ton of discounts on, on crazy stuff, on outdoor stuff, firearm stuff, the clothing, um, uh, they they can go on the website. I'd, you just I'd, want to make it easier for people to get outdoors yeah, safely, get the kit they need, the gear they need, the education they need through the club. And foster a culture of that. That's awesome. You guys have done a great job of that. So, um, you know, quite often with a club, there's a, a, a collective. So, a, mm. you know, a, a, a point where you come together. So to be part of Silver Core Club, do you have to be, do you have to be at the, the store? Do you have to come into the, the storefront or how, where do people, where's the collective or is it an online? Is it virtual? Where's What's the, the premise behind it? So originally the club started off back around 2003, 2004, and it just started from the concept of, uh, there was a firearms officer. He says, Trav, look at, uh, some kid brought a firearm to school back East. It was show and tell. Nobody got hurt. He was just trying to show some gun that I, I, from what I gather, maybe his parent had a firearm and he brought it in. I didn't get all the details, but the firearms officer said, look at every firearms officer in country is going back to this meeting. They want to discuss how they're going to, uh, make some changes. I'll let you know what we talk about when I come back. Okay. Sounds good. He comes back. I'm like, okay, I'm all ears. Let's hear it. He says, they made us sign NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. We can't talk about what happened there. But what I can say is that we're going to take a three-pronged approach to limiting legal firearms ownership in Canada, not illegal, but legal firearms ownership. Shortly thereafter, uh, we started seeing a, a major push from the RCMP CFP, Canadian Firearms Program, to, um, they weren't applying, they weren't allowing authorizations to transport. And then they stopped allowing people to get their restricted firearms license unless they belong to a gun club or a range. They also started going after a number of businesses and, um, there is, uh, there is a couple other areas there. I never knew what the prongs were, but I, I felt like it probably from that meeting there, one of the prongs was let's make it more difficult for people to get the restricted firearms license. And I said, I've read through the act. I've read through the firearms, uh, regulations. I've read through the criminal code. Like you guys don't have the authority, right? I took sort of an oppositional approach, right? And, um, so I started going down the road of having a reference hearing. I think that was a legal term that, uh, we're looking at at the time. And the firearms officer came back, says, Travis, you're fighting the federal government. We'll tie this up in the court for years. You're, you're never going to be able to win this one. Why don't you just start a club? Really? Yeah. He says gun club or range, just start a club. We'll be happy. We'll send people over because now they're listening to us. Awesome. So at great cost to Silvercore, paid the lawyers, got them set up and was set up a nonprofit club. And we've always kept it that way for the, um, for the members. And, uh, that was sort of the impetus, the, uh, the starting point of it. We've held events all across Canada, 
some in-person, some postal events where they, we've got retailers that get involved. They give away firearms and like Bradley Smoker or Mark's Work Warehouse or you know, different gun stores uh, have been involved as well. And, uh, or we'll, so we'll have a live event or we'll have different postal events. A university shooting federation, different university groups get the, uh, the youngins out there, provide them with everything they need so that they can uh, enjoy it. And I, after a number of years, I reached a point, I'm like, you know, people are joining because it meets that requirement. And I don't think that that's a, uh, I don't, I don't like that. I really don't. And one of our members in, um, in Ontario, Daniel Belofsky, who club member of Silver Corps, he took the local CFO to court and says, because they weren't recognizing his Silver Corps club membership. And, uh. He says, look at, this is a federal club. They're good all across Canada. He ended up going through court. He won, then he lost. But the outcome of the whole thing, cause it was appealed, uh, was that Ontario got rid of that requirement of having them needing to belong to a gun club or a range. And I thought that's fantastic. If we can have the same thing happen in every other province and territory, wouldn't that be great? So what we've concentrated on with Silver Corps is building value for the members where the gun club whole thing work around or whatever you want to call it is just ancillary to what the club actually provides. So that's, um, uh, they can come to our physical location. They can, they can do it online. We're in BC, so it's easy for us to hold events over here. We've had members in, uh, Nova Scotia and Ontario and other provinces, uh, help, uh, coordinate events. We, we do the, um, the marketing and get the, get the word out, but they have boots on the ground over there and we'll ship ammunition and firearms and, uh, or even just get togethers, barbecues, help, help fund these different things. And I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Halifax in a couple of days doing, doing similar type work. So it's, um, uh, yeah, it's something that, uh, I feel really helps bolster our community. And as we grow it out beyond just the, uh, the firearms world, you're going to be able to reach a bunch of people who maybe don't have firearms on the front of their mind, but they're okay with it. Right on. It's awesome what you guys are doing. And let's not go down the rabbit hole and talk about policy and legislation and, and, and what we're seeing federally around these gun laws, but let's just talk a little bit as, as a community and, and we're seeing these changes and this evolution. So what can we do, I guess, as a community, right? So, you know, for example, myself, you know, not a big gun rights guy. I'd lo- I'd lo- I love my firearms and they're important to me. And there's a lot of people that just, you know, they have their 22 sitting in the, in the safe at home and they want to use it, but it's not, you know, they don't, they don't think much about it. And quite often you hear about guys, they don't care about restricted uh, firearms. They don't care about, you know, these changing laws around, you know, that don't affect them. Mm. So, you know, can we raise, raise the red flag a little bit more than we have, uh, you know, should we start thinking more holistically as an, um, as a community, as opposed to, does it affect me today? Mm. Um, you know, cause I think that's something that gets lost even in our, you know, in the hunting world too, right. You know, the grizzly bear ban and so forth, right. Ah, it doesn't affect me big deal. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, w- when does the deer hunter start to really worry about this? So, can you guys touch on that a little bit or, or, oh, yeah. the, or are we just, call, are we calling wolf, wolf, wolf when we really don't need to? No, you know, there is an interconnectedness to all of us and, um, to our environment, to the animals, to each other. 
we all, to some degree or another, we are all deeply interconnected and we live in a world which can be highly divisive or appear to be highly divisive if we put our attention to that. So humans are negatively biased by nature. You go by a car wreck, everyone's going to slow down and look over because there's that little part of your brain. It's like, there's danger. How do I make sure I'm not in danger? I'm pretty happy. I'm not that person over there. And, and there's, there's this, there's this strange draw towards all it. So when we start looking at, uh, it doesn't affect me or regulations that kind of come out, I think if we take a step back and are able to approach it more from, uh, from twofold, from one, from the philosophical standpoint of charity, right. And, and two, from the thought that, uh, we are all interconnected. So in philosophy, the idea of charity is somebody says something and maybe I'm taking offense to what they're saying, but I'm going to be charitable. And I'm going to think maybe that wasn't their intention. They weren't trying to offend me and I'll dig really deep and try and just get to the root of what they're, of their side. I'll try and look at it from their perspective, because if, for example, you're talking about firearms regulations to somebody who's been negatively impacted by firearms, good luck, right? Someone's been, had a family member they lost or a loved one or uh, mental health in the family. Or, I mean, that's, that's not a conversation that you're going to win by talking about uh, guns are good or just a tool and, and all the rest. Um, so if we can understand sort of where people are coming from, give them the most charitable sort of, um, a perspective as to why they may be approaching it from that. I think it'll help temper the way that we then in turn comport ourselves. I think our biggest thing that we can do, yes, there'll be gun groups and lobbies and all the rest and by all means support them. We support all of them. Do I agree with all of them? No. In fact, all of them have things that I would think they could do completely differently, but I'm not a gun lobby. Silver Corps is not a gun lobby. We're here to be able to try and set an example and be able to show people what we do as individuals and firearms are a part of, of what we do. So from the charitable side that we are all interconnected, we can find a way to be able to bridge that gap. And I think Tiffany can probably speak on, cause I looked over at some of her notes that she was writing down here, <laughs> uh, like, uh, bridging the gap between, let's say somebody who doesn't care. I don't care about grizzly bears cause I don't hunt them or I don't care about firearms cause they don't affect me. Do you want to meet a speaker? No, I, Go I, ahead. I, I mean, you can read my notes. If you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess I was just thinking, you know, you can sit here and you can be like, as hunters, we need to care about the, the grizzly bear hunt being over and you guys should care and you should do this and you should talk to your MLA and all these other things that you should do. People don't respond well to that. They don't like some do. Very, I think a very small percentage do. And I think we saw that when we didn't see a massive amount of people coming together and saying, you know, we got to get together and stand up for hunters' rights, right? This is, this is an important cultural, social, you know, activity. I think we have to look at it differently and say, how do we make people care? So how do you make the non-farm owner care about the right, I shouldn't say the right, about people's people's i don't know people being able to buy firearms and and have them for hunting or for whatever they want to use it for if they don't have firearms so for us through the club i think has been helpful because we we look at it like let's have a fun event kids can come out it's free we'll pay for the event we'll have a barbecue we'll we'll make it a social fun event 
get a few new people in that haven't be, aren't part of the community. Or from the, the hunting standpoint, personally, from my experience, how do you get a non-hunter or someone that's anti-hunting to be at least open to the idea of someone else being able to hunt? We're, we don't not necessarily need them to get out and get a rifle and go hunting, but just be okay with me being able to do that. It's through food, right? Like I had a dinner party one time and served everybody goat and they were blown away. They said it was the best lamb they ever had. And <laughs> like, it's not lamb. <laughs> like, it's not lamb. That's goat. And they're like, oh my God. It just, just opening people's perspective on things and, and persuading them to be a little bit more, like Travis said, compassionate and charitable in their outlook, right? Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, exactly what we're doing up on campfire, right? Yeah, we're, exactly. We we use the, the food heavily to, to to bridge that gap. Yeah. And one of the the things we put in our messaging is the best way to bring somebody that's not necessarily a, a an anti hunter, but somebody who's as you say on the fence, into our world and at least get an understanding, and not necessarily accept it either, right? Just to understand that uh, they're we we do share a lot more commonalities and that's as you say tiff food we mm. use that an awful lot and the, there's no better way to bring somebody in in my experience than to cook something for them that they know and they understand like a chili or a spaghetti or or something like that that they can go okay i've had this before it's it's easier to do that and more palatable so to speak than slapping a big uh t-bone down on the plate and going that's a deer and they're gonna go whoa I, yeah. they can start picturing that but if you go oh this is a venison chili or a venison meatballs etc that opens a lot more doors and my my mom the god when i started hunting 20 some odd years ago she was dead set against it now it's oh so uh what what am i eating from your freezer now she she knows it's wild game awesome. she doesn't question it now so and there's Every, a lot of good experiences I've had that way. So everybody way eats, it, right? Everybody right. eats. I, I That's think, right. I think it's a process of being attuned to whatever the zeitgeist is, right? Zeitgeist is, spirit of the times. And absolutely, food is a very popular thing and it always has been, but the uh, how we procure our food has, I mean, COVID really brought that into a, a, uh, a highlight. All of a sudden people start thinking, I might not be able to get food. I mean, the amount of people who wanted to get their hunting, uh, license or their firearms license based on COVID because they wanted to be self-sufficient or they wanted, to, they're afraid, right? Uh, and the fear kind of drives that. So being aware of these things, and it's become so easy for anybody to kind of be aware of what these trends are. I mean, Google has Google trends. You can just click in and see where everyone's talking about. And if you say, look at, there's something that's on the public consciousness but they're not really looking at it from the same perspective as a hunter. How can we marry those two things together? And I think that's one of the ways without getting too political that people can advocate for what it is that they want without, if you try and sell something to somebody, like you go into a store and someone tries to sell you, like, I don't know if you're probably like me, you shut down. I'm like, nope, I'm not getting sold. I'm not falling for these tricks. Right. I'm, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll come back maybe. Right. But if you can present something that already aligns with what somebody is thinking, it's in the spirit of the times and you just so happen to coincide with that, there is no selling that's needed. Yeah. Well said. 
Um, so Tiffany, you, you talked about um, this connection with food, right? Well, we, we've been talking about that and, and you were talking that specifically. Um, I know you are a, a chef as well. Um, where does this, the, the connection to foraging and wildlife, was this something you grew up with or is this just something that has gone in a, that direction now um, through the business and through Travis or is that something you've always been passionate about? I grew up in a family, um, very liberal, like not, not the good kind, like the, you can't, you okay. can't do this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, good kind. Uh, I love yeah. that. That's awesome. Um, so lots of, uh, five girls in the family and, um, we, firearms weren't, weren't in our house ever, uh, really, really looked down on. Uh, but what, what I did experience as a, as a child was, uh, a lot of fishing, uh, and a family in Nova Scotia that like had a farm. And so there was mushroom picking and picking berries and, and I had, I had a bit of that exposure there, which, um, I've realized later in life was pretty impactful for me, uh, as I've gotten older. Uh, and then I met Travis and, uh, became a chef and, it just evolved from there. So, um, funnily enough, writing an article for the the Wild Sheep magazine for this fall or the winter issue. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in there too. But um, it was a natural progression. Uh, I don't think you can be a chef in the kitchen and be truly passionate about food and and the products that you're feeding other people without. I don't know. At least for me, wanting to have a little bit more control over it and wanting to present the best possible ingredients. And in my mind, that was being able to pick them myself and go out and, and have that control and that like physical contact with, with the ingredients. And, um, yeah, it's, I'm oh, sorry, microphone. <laughs> Get you a little closer to your <laughs> yeah, mic. Sorry. <laughs> Gotta be close. Yeah. It was, it was a natural evolution and, and progression to the point now where, most of the meat we eat is wild and, um, our freezer's full of, of, uh, foraged mushrooms and greens and all sorts of stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And for any meat that we have in our freezer that isn't wild, it's, we know where it came from. We know the farm. Yeah. yeah same. Yeah. Yeah. Domestic. It, yeah. Love it's it. just, it's, it's not because we're obsessive or, you know, crazy. We just, it tastes better. And, and yeah, it, it has a story. And when we sit down to dinner with our kids, we're like, Finn, remember when you got this, this mule deer? That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. There's, there's something to be said about that connection. Yeah. Yes. Not, to, not just to your food, but the, what I find there, there's, there's nothing better than getting out there and, and grabbing, say a Saskatoon berry and you, you, it tastes better just because you, you know where it came from. You connect to yourself, I find as well. Right. Totally. And yeah, we've. We, we rolled out a, a new thing on one campfire about two weeks ago, uh, a series I created called I Forage. And it's about going out there and our, our friend, Chef Jade Berg on the island goes mm -hmm. out and we go along with him on uh, an ocean foraging. And as they're walking in, he's finding nodding onions and he's catching fish and he's cooking it. And just that, that connection that, as you said a little while ago, Tiff, that we all share is that, that food and being able to connect to the landscape and connect to yourself. And no matter what, where you are in the world, you need to eat. So if we bridge that gap and continue to bring people into our world, we're going to be so much better off. I think. Totally. I, I honestly, I think probably the best meal I've ever eaten and we've eaten in some pretty decent places 
one of the best meals was over a campfire after my son got his first year. And it was just tenderloin sautéed in a cast iron pan, some butter, garlic, thyme. Yep. That was it. And we ate it with our hands. Like it was yep. perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, last year around, well, about a year ago, year and a bit ago, we did a fly-in hunt. Me, Greg Rensmag, and his brother and his dad and got a nice, nice bowl. And same thing. We were in the tent and we cooked a single tenderloin on the wall stove, wall tent stove. Awesome. One of the best yeah. ever. Just a little bit of Montreal steak spice or whatever the hell it was. We ate it with our hands. And, <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. Sticks. Yeah. Amazing. If, if I've done my job right, I hope my kids look back and say, oh man, remember mom, every meal she'd sit down and be like, all these ingredients came from our garden or we foraged <laughs> them or we got them. Yeah. Yeah. Feel that yeah. one. Yeah. Mm. That's my goal. So Tiffany, you were talking about growing up in a liberal family and it was okay to go fishing, right? Yeah. Um, so now here we are um, and fishing kind of is okay with some people. I have friends like, yeah, I'm okay with fishing, but you're bonking a fish. Like it's, uh, you know, it's okay to bonk a fish, but then if you were to do that to, and you can do it to a 40 or 50 pound salmon, but it's not okay to do that to uh, whatever, a rabbit mm. or something like that. So is it disconnect? The, is it is it a is a firearms thing? Is that the issue, or or why are people okay with with killing things and and even you know wild meat or sorry farm meat, right? So f you know from many cases farms that are not very good for the environment, a whole bunch of other things that we could get into. But why why is it why is that okay? Why isn't that that liberal family? Is it okay to go and bonk a fish and eat it, but you can't go and harvest something with your firearm? I think. I think there's two two parts of it. I think part of it is, uh, like you said, with the farmed animals, there's a disconnect. People in our modern society have separated themselves so far from the reality of eating and food and, and animals and death that they think that it's cleaner and better for the environment to just go to the supermarket and let someone else deal with it so they don't have to see it so it's not there. It's like a f we've got our blinders on. I'm not doing it. Why do hunters have to be so cruel? And they do it, right? Um, but I think with the fishing, um, I think it's because fish aren't as cute as deer. I think there's just this mm. uh, obnoxious, like, I'm righteous. Uh, I, I, it's okay to kill ugly animals. If they're slimy or scaly, uh, people don't seem to get upset about people killing fish because they're not furry, Right. They don't have these big bowling ball brown eyes when they're when they're little. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's like a Disney factor, right? Totally. Realistically, mm. look at look at Bambi, etc., and all the, the the big magical beings that have come along in the Disney sort of era, right? Mm. And but what happened? We're talking about Disney. Is remember when Finding Nemo came out? What mm. happened with the, the fish there? Right? Yeah. Everybody. There was a, there was a huge push back on fishing captivity and uh, the clownfish, etc., and sustainable sustainable uh, approaches. So it's it, it's tough, and as you said, Tiff, it's it's marketable, right? The, the cute cuddlies are the ones that raise raise the funds. So mm -hmm. we can go down a complete different ta tangent there, and I can see Kyle's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't get me on 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 the. Uh the anti-farming people. I think, oh, I think that's a that massive, either. massive discussion, but anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll have you back. Actually, we'll do a podcast on that. We'll have you back on that whole thing. Right? Yeah, I got but some talking points. There's some pretty good podcasts out there on that already. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with your brand, Tiffany, like, or I get, well, one of the things I love following your, uh, it's funny, my, the people I follow on Instagram are pretty funny. And I follow yours quite closely, but there's always this connection to, you know, foraging and, and fishing and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, how, how important is that? Is that important to your brand? Is that important to Silvercore on, on that, what you guys do? Or is that just something is a personal passion, I guess? Um, to be totally frank with you, my personal Instagram account has very little to do with the brand of Silvercore. That's, um, if you want to look at the brand of Silvercore, look at our Silvercore Instagram account. Uh, my personal one is, I'm glad you like it because it's mostly pictures of my dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, there are certain, th- certain guidelines I, I try to follow. It's not me, hopefully, complaining about political things and, and fart jokes or anything obnoxious like that. But I don't post pictures of my kids' faces uh, and I don't post dead animals. Um, that's that's my only rule, simply because it's just easier that way, and not to go down that whole argument of the of the hero shot with the with the animal and that kind of thing. You do what you want to do. I have no issue with that, but me personally, I just don't. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm obnoxiously passionate about food and foraging and fishing, and um, what you see on my social media is is a pretty darn accurate representation of me. That's that's not. There's no branding there. You can. It's pretty obvious. I'm not getting help on that account. That's all me. <laughs> well, so on that, that I was just go ahead. Just going to say, you know, for the audience, talk is sheep. Predominantly, we know what your audience is going to be comprised of. We know the psychographic, the demographic of kind of who's listening to this. For those who kind of tune in, who might be a little bit outside that demographic and psychographic, that's where the one campfire. I think has been doing a really, really good job because so many people will look at, let's say they look at a police officer and they say, what, show me an emblem that will signify a police officer, badge, gun, right? These are things that kind of stand out to them. Show me a hunter. What stands out about a hunter? Camouflage gun, right? But guns are going to be in there. Um, death, what, what's a hunter? Oh, dead animals, right? They're, they're going out killing the actual act of pulling the trigger and using that firearm is a fraction of a second. And so where one campfire kind of really does a good job, I think, is in showing that whole story in a, in a way, like you guys aren't showing the dead animal that fraction of a second, which seems to just sit in the back of people's heads is that's what a hunter is. You do your damnedest to be able to show everything else around it, the connectedness, the family, being out in nature. And Steve, like you're saying before, what you learn about yourself, what this teaches you, foraging, fishing, hunting, just being outside under the stars, what you, what you start being a bit more introspective and realize the, the vastness of all this and how we're interconnected. So I I think, and when Tiffany, you're saying, you know, I don't pose, I don't put uh, dead animals up there. Um. You know, I think I might have a couple on mine, but, uh, they, you uh, do, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> right. It, there is nothing wrong with it, but we're trying, I think from a, uh, a perspective of being able to reach other people is to help tell that story similar to how one campfire tells that story of I hunt because it brings me closer with my family. Cause we're always learning something because I know where the food came from, 
because we have a greater respect for life, death, and what, what we're consuming and who we interact with. So I, I think that's, I don't know, that's an important thing. And one campfire is doing a good job with that. So you look at Tiffany's Instagram account, for example, and it's filled with telling that story in a, in a very articulate, beautiful way. Um, and, and a really good job of it. Um, does her now, if she was to post a grip and grin mm. of this monster mule deer or whatever it is, does that undo everything she's done? Because there's somebody, there's people out there that you're going to lose over that. And there's people that follow her probably because she does tell that story in a certain way. So, cause I, I, I hear this all the time is I, I hear people like people like me that are, you know, grew up hunting, love hunting. That's they think eat, sleep, dream hunting all day, every day. And they say we should never post a grip and grin ever again. Um, so, you know, I think there's a healthy balance in there, but does that undo everything that you've done for the past number of years? All these great posts you've done by posting one grip and grin. Well, you can see the amount of followers I have. It's, okay. <laughs> it's it's not a lot. Fair enough. I'm not concerned about losing my followers. I don't do it to get followers. Um, I, fr- I, I don't know how many I have. And frankly, I think most of them are my family anyway. So uh, I'm just trying to be real. And I, to say I don't have Griffin Grin photos is a lie. I'm just not posting them online. I share them with my family. I just don't want to have another discussion with my family about why bear hunting is not the worst thing in the world and why I love it so much. So, um, yeah, will it undo it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I think I'd probably get more followers actually from a lot of people that, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think that it's a, uh, it's a conversation that doesn't really have an answer. Like if people are so concerned about the, how other people are perceiving them. Like, obviously we have to watch what we say. We watch how we comport ourselves and how we conduct ourselves because we're not just going to be flying off the handle and being a poor represent representative, particularly like yourselves, you guys are in a position of influence and you represent, um, the hunting industry. You're going to be careful about what you say, but when you start going down the path of being concerned about, will we lose followers or gain followers or how do we, I think, uh, that's sort of the beginning of the end and you might be able to ride that for a little bit. It's that whole, you can please, you know, you can't please all the people all the time and you can start riding that and say, Hey, we're getting positive success. Cause people look at, we're getting followers and we're not getting shadow banned, but then you start losing what's true to you. So if you're able to identify what's true to you and be able to present that in a way that's, um, uh, that's true. I mean, if you're all about gripping grins over and over again, there's a market, there's an audience for that. But I think if you try and tailor your social feed to what you think others will find the best for you, I, I believe that's the beginning of the end. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a time and a place for them and they have to be done classy. We've, we've all seen, the. Uh, the, uh, the grip and grins that do us no favors. I admin some big sites on Facebook and we had a guy, God, going back seven, eight years before any one campfire, any of that was ever even thought of. And this guy, he had uh, a black bear head on a pike and he was Mm. carrying it around like Lord of the flies. And Mm. just, he didn't get that. He was doing so much damage to the community. It was, yeah, 
well, it's, it's again that rabbit hole, right? It's disrespectful to the animal, right? And That's like, right. If, if That's we, right. If we start understanding that we are connected, so we start treating people how we want to be treated, and that applies further than just the people. And we'll respect ourselves, respect those around us, and we'll respect the animals that we harvest. And if we start doing something that's disrespectful, we can expect to hear hear back on that. I mean, that's right. Everyone's got an opinion, and they're they're pretty quick to let you know, especially on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Those are the pictures that are gonna gonna make the news, right? Yeah. Those are the ones that are gonna do us damage. You're not gonna see the nice class classy, tasteful, posed ones where they're in Africa, for example, and all the food is going to uh, the orphanages, and they're gonna talk about that one picture of Cecil the lion, right? Right. And right. It's but that one bad yeah. hunter doesn't represent That's right. all hunters, just like any That's group exactly. organization. And, yeah. and the, it's really easy for somebody who's not a part of the group to identify because that's what we do instinctively, right? We, we try and compartmentalize things. So it's easy for us to assess and address. Okay. That's Hunter. I know Hunter done. This is, uh, this, this is an American. I know American done. Right. Um, and the more that we are open, the more that we have forums like this, where we can talk about things and we invite others who are outside of our sphere and have these open conversations, whether we agree or disagree, but we do it respectfully. I think that is a key for us to be able to get the messaging out there because all of a sudden it's harder to say all Americans are this, right? All Canadians are that all hunters are this, because you say, well, I, well, you know, my neighbor's an American and I, I know that did not be true. I know they're a good person. So I, I think that, uh, uh, I think you guys are doing the right thing in, um, and what you're doing. I don't have the answers, but that's just from a gut level feeling. Yeah. Really good points for sure that you, you've all made, but one of the, one of the things that I find interesting is that when the grizzly thing was going on and I always come back to this cause it's something that we've lost from our community, but, um, you know, a, a good friend of mine's a non-hunter. He supports, uh, the concept of hunting, he likes wild meat, um, has no issue with it, but he, 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 he quite often he'll push me on certain things. And the one thing he said to me during this whole thing about the grizzly bears, he goes, okay, you've got, you know, your average, uh, you know, your, and he used the example, this was his example, a mom that lives in downtown Victoria, and you've got one minute to convince her why it's okay to kill a grizzly bear. What would you, would you tell her? And I'm like, I'm not even going to waste my time in one minute. Mm. Like, how can you even do that? Like, how could you try and um, explain grizzly bear hunting or, you know, why, you know, to harvest bears in, in 30 seconds or one minute? And that's what we're up against, right? Like how, you know, they can take a 30 second clip, a 10 second clip and create all this hatred for grizzly bear hunting and hunters in, in general, firearms, a whole bunch of other things. And how do we combat that? It's a lifetime of trying to, and then it's ruined by a 10 second clip. That's a real big challenge. I think that we're up against same thing with firearms and stuff. You know, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges I face is there's just not a great 10 second soundbite where you can sort of, um, have a, a, no. a good defense of hunting. There, there really isn't. There's, there's countless 10 second clips that will ruin hunting real quick. And we knew when we saw that, uh, that famous clip that circulated of that grizzly bear being shot on the mountain slide, it, mm. when, when they got a hold of that in the media, that that was going to be the, the big push towards the end of the grizzly bear hunt because of a, a, a 10 second snippet. Right. But anyway. Yeah. You have to find that, you know, one side would say, why do, why should we have to, why should we have to defend why we do 
whatever it is, right? Whether it's a firearm side or the hunting side and from the hunting world, they'd say, well, it's because we keep on losing ground. We keep on losing access. We keep losing the ability to, to, uh, ethically harvest. You try and have an analytical conversation about an emotionally driven subject. It's not going to happen. You, you can't convince somebody emotionally by using an analytical argument and say, well, you know, the wildlife biologists say, and actually more animals are being killed. Predatory bears are going to kill other bears. And by doing this culling, we're actually helping. And I mean, at one point we've stuck our finger into the bowl of water and we're expecting not to see ripples. There's going to be ripples, whether you take that finger out, whether you do something different. So, uh, perhaps in a 10 second conversation, it might be just either a addressing uh, do we even bother? Like Kyle, like you said, should I even bother having that one? I mean, do you eat meat? Well, yes. Okay. So we're already on the same ground here about the fact that at some point a life is taken for us to be able to eat meat. Um, why do you feel it's better to co-op that to somebody else? Like if, if they say they don't eat meat and they're not completely against it, fair enough. That's, that's their, their view and they can live it. But, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be having a conversation with them about hunting. But do you, do you hunt for analytical reasons? I don't, I don't, I don't know any hunter that's like, well, you know, the population's like, blah, 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 and we, we got to reduce it a little bit. Everyone I know hunts because they have a passion for it. Like you said, it's, it's about the sharing experience with friends and family and being outdoors and all these feelings that make your heart get big and make you happy and put a smile on your face. And Kyle, like you said, you, you eat, sleep and drink it and you think about it 24 hours a day. That's why we hunt. It's really hard to express that to someone as a reason why they should let you do it and why it's okay and why it's a good thing. It's such a passionate thing for so many people. It's, and, and then you're asking hunters to turn around and be like, oh, I need to be analytical, but why do it? Well, that's not why I do it. Right. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah, no, that's that, those are really good points. It's interesting, and I was talking to Sh- Sh- Jim Shockey on this, and that's exact. Jim was like, "This is my, this is my belief system. This is he akin it to uh, his religion. Hmm. He didn't use that word, but it was you know, this is my spirituality." He goes, "Yeah, I hunt to eat, and I do all these other things, but he goes, it's not about that for me. It's this is my life. This is what I, this is my belief system. This is what I dream. This is what I believe. This is this is my essence. It's not." It's not just about food and it's not any one of these things. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's who I am as a person, just like you believe in whatever spiritual entity that may be. Mm. That's what I believe in. Yeah. That's, that's my connection. It, it, it's tough to justify an emotional attachment with science. And, and I think that's a, a big part of what we do, right? Because we get put on the spot by some of these people and they go, well, how, how do you know that that uh, hunting is good for the environment? Well, then we get into the talk about carrying capacity and fawn recruitment, et cetera, and predator populations. But well, so do we do we have proper science on that instead of just going, look, <laughs> as, as, as Jim talks about, right, this is who we are and it's not about the kill. And then it becomes just a vicious cycle. And they they have that uh, that that high ground in in their eyes over us. Right. Because, well, killing is bad. Right. How do we get away from that. That's, I'd I'd love to have the answer. You know, just as we're talking here, there's also the other side. There are some groups out there that have a very deep, uh, connection to the outdoors and hunting as a part of their cultural heritage, right? First nations, for example, there's a very, uh, deep connection within that, that, uh, people seem to respect and understand. And, um, 
you know, I look at BHA in the States and their, uh, their whole public land access and they've, uh, right from the onset looked at who are other people who have public land issues and, uh, requirements. And that would be the first nations over there. And, uh, by forming a relationship with others who have that sort of a connection and already have that level of social acceptance might be a way for people to automatically silo and say, oh yeah, no, no, that's okay then. Right. As they're going through just, just a casual thought or observation as we're talking. Well, and I think that's one of the things that's happened uh, recently is, uh, you know, there's been this growing uh, effort around reconciliation, right? Which very important of, you know, that we're going through. Um, and I think that's one thing that we we're seeing here is that, you know, people are seeing that first nations have this connection to the landscape and wildlife and, and harvesting. So I think that's brought a new and awareness too, right? A lot of people kind of forgot about that. And now with reconciliation, it's a bit more prevalent in our space and people are seeing a bit more of that. And, and it's an important story to tell. So first nations is certainly doing a, a good job of, of sharing that. And, you know, nobody's questioning them, right? As a general rule, we don't see too many anti-hunting groups getting after First Nations about, um, you know, harvesting off the landscape, so, but, which is great. And that whole, we're all interconnected. I mean, it's not unique to First Nations to have that level of connection. It just so happens to be part of their cultural story that the masses have adopted and they they say, yeah, no, we recognize that. So I, th- I think, um, I think there are areas there from a, uh, a modern emotional side, as well as a political side. When you talk about that 10 second clip, most of the time it's not got anything to do with logic as most people who logically look at it can realize we want to ban guns because we want to make it safer for people. Well, is that really what you want to do? Or do you want to give the optics of being safer and creative wedge issue so that it's got a, something divisive that you can paint your opponents into? Um, maybe it's got nothing to do with the firearms to begin with, or maybe it's got nothing to do with the hunting to, to begin with, but it's deep, their desires are, are separate and we're just kind of being used in the process. So being able to, uh, get that, uh, thousand, thousand yard view at, at the whole issue and maybe approach it from a few different angles like that might be, um, might be a better way. I mean, when somebody comes up and asks you to explain something, you look at how, uh, I mean, if I uh, talk about politics, if we've all seen the clips of uh, Trudeau answering questions, how many people can answering say they've questions. seen him actually answer the question? <laughs> That's funny. Right. So, so the uh, question is asked to you, why, why not just start talking about the points that are important? There's no need to go down and start trying to justify where you're at. Talk about the important 10 second clip points. And even if it's, com- if it's completely separate to what their question was, cause that may have just been bait to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Really good points. And, and absolutely that that's one thing the anti sort of anti hunting, anti consumption community has done a pretty good job is, is telling that story and using, using the bad points against this for sure that they, they've certainly, uh, capitalized on that. And there's been, they've got out in front of that for sure. And, and sometimes we're always trying to take the high road and telling our story that we, you know, it just gets shuffled off the side. Cause like you said, Steve, you start talking about fawn recruitment. Well, you might as well not open your mouth cause nobody's going to listen to you. It's just a waste of, uh, whether it's true or not, people don't want to hear that science unless you're talking to a biologist or something. Yeah. It's, it's it, as we said, right at the beginning, Travis said right at the beginning, it's about the echo chamber, right? The ones right. that are going to listen already know that stuff. And, and sometimes you guys have a large following and they want to, if something comes up that's negative that the, you feel you might have to address, 
are, are you just feeding the fire? Are you just adding to it? Or maybe it doesn't even rise to the dignity of a response and, uh, and you move on, find a different way to approach it. Yeah. Well said. Okay. So you still haven't answered my question about silver core 2.0. Are you going to give us a little <laughs> hint or <laughs> uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping January, uh, full launch, everything will be coming through. Uh, okay. uh any teasers, any little, anything you can share? Greater resources for the members. Like we already have a whole oh, ton of resources okay. for the members, but, uh, far greater resources for the members and interconnectivity through, uh, for our members and, and, uh, Ability for them to, uh, take part in things that they might not otherwise be able to do and connect with organizations that they, um, uh, might not, might not be right now. So just more community building that, that, that would be the, uh, uh, the big push I'd say. Awesome. That's really exciting. So anyone interested in any silver core products, uh, want to take some courses, maybe self-defense firearms, uh, outdoor safety, where, what do they do? Where do they go? Silvercore.ca. Yeah, it's pretty easy. They, uh, they can check out, we've got a YouTube channel with a whole bunch of free content. We've got, um, online courses, uh, silvercore.ca is the easiest place to find stuff. Of course, we're on social media and Instagram. Uh, you know, I respond to everything that comes up in the comments for, let's say YouTube. Uh, we've, I respond to a lot of things that come up within our social media. If people have uh, questions, it's either going to be myself or somebody from our team that's in there responding. And if there's thing that they things that they'd like to see addressed on future podcasts, I read them, I go through it because as a part of building a community, I want to make sure that, uh, those involved, their voices are heard. So that's something that our members definitely get advantage of. Right on. Well, thank you both for taking the time today. I, we could, have, I, I love these podcasts. When you look at the time, you're like, holy crap, we're already an hour <laughs> through this thing. So, um, it was fun. And there was a lot of ton of stuff that we could have jumped into that we never got a chance to. So, uh, Travis, Tiffany, thank you for your time today. Thank you for all Silvercore does. I, you know, I love what you guys do and, um, uh, yeah, really, really cool having you on the show. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having us. Thanks a lot guys.